back to the green light. Green light podcast. You got Jackson here. And you got Lauren. And what do we do, Lauren, on this here podcast? Well, we read unproduced plays and screenplays and interview the awesome people who wrote them. Yes. And what is our script this week, Lauren? Because I know the past couple of weeks we've kind of forgotten to say what we have done. Yeah, that <laughs> is a great question, Jackson. Our script this week is Love on Ice. Mm-hmm. A by drama by Tim, Tim Woods. Woods. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to get into that later. A really fun script. Yeah. Uh, we, we enjoyed working on it. We also have a guest actor coming on this yeah, week. Tristan so exciting. Cameron. Yeah, you'll meet him shout when we Tristan. do our second segment. Yes, shout out Tristan. But yeah. Uh, how are you doing, Lauren, just as a whole? I'm doing fine. There's a there's a zit on my face that's been bleeding all day. But aside from that, I'm okay. That's You know what? We, we get those sometimes. Yeah. We do as human beings. <laughs> the 2020 is the zit on our face as like a True. society. Just as that's, a year. Yeah, yeah, we'll look back on this year. Well, it's probably worse yeah. than a zit on the face, actually. I don't want to downplay. Yeah, it's definitely a lot worse. I don't want to downplay people's struggles during this time. But we hope everyone is doing well. We know this yeah. is a really tough time. But it's a really exciting time because I think, and this is me hoping that future me will make this decision, to put in a little spooky music at the beginning because Ooh. it's officially spooky month. It's Halloween. And you know what else is coming up? My birthday in it two is. weeks. Two Lauren's weeks from birthday. the day we're recording yes, this Wednesday. Lauren's birthday <laughs> is October 21st. So... You know how could you could uh, give her a gift? Yeah, is you either... can tell me happy birthday in your iTunes review. Correct. Or, or roast me. I'll take that too. Or if you want to subscribe to our Patreon, you can True. also... That would be a great that gift for Lauren. That would be an Lauren. amazing birthday gift. Yes. I would love it so much. Yes. So both of those things. But yes, also, so that's that's sort of the pubbing we have. Also, if you haven't heard, we have another podcast. Who is that? The Mass Singer podcast, where we talk about the new episode of The Mass Singer yeah. each week. And that drops on Fridays. So... At the same time this episode is out, you go ahead and cl- move over, find who is that, and yeah. hit the subscribe button, hit the download button, smash listen to that. Button. Smash it with Speaking all that you have. of smashing a subscribe button, yes. we are also now on YouTube. Oh, so, true. God, yeah, we have a lot of stuff. A lot of announcements. Yeah. Wow. So for right now, it's basically just all of our past episodes are on there yeah. on YouTube. There's no yeah. like really video element. We just have a little graphic on the screen. Yeah, I um, think it's a cool graphic. Yeah, I agree. They're both cool graphics. This graphic design, <laughs> easy, boy. Easy. Easy. That's a joke that that's I've had. A, Graphic design is difficult. I know. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I mean, using using Canva is easy. So thanks, Canva. Yeah, thank you, Canva. Thank you, free version of Canva yeah. <laughs> that we've used. Um, but, but yeah, yeah the link so, is gonna be in our description. Yeah. So if you if you would it's also rather on our link tree. So yeah. But both of our shows are there. Yeah. So it's if on you the same channel all in one place. If you would rather listen to our show on YouTube, feel free. We have that link if you want to stare at a nice pretty graphic. We may put up some other video content if Lauren yeah, and I we are feeling open up that possibility. Yeah, if Lauren and I are feeling especially creative or especially excited Ambitious. about something. <laughs> yeah. We we might throw up some videos. But yeah. Just so check us out on YouTube. But the original reason why I brought up Halloween before we got sidetracked a couple of times. True. With necessary things, is that this This whole month, we're kind of doing a fun thing with our detours. If you don't know, our segment Detours of the Week, where we talk about something we've consumed in the past week. Movie, TV show, book, play, 10-year-old video game, whatever. We're going to be doing a little, at least one thing Halloween-based. Yeah. As as one of our detours for the week. I did did a a little shoulder (laughs) roll, because I'm excited. Halloween's a super fun time, you know? Especially for engaging and, like, consuming content. It's so fun. Halloween stories are so fun. Old, cheesy horror movies. New, scary horror movies. Yeah. The, the, The best episodes of TV... Put, I'm putting my stake in this right now. Stake like a vampire. Anyways, uh. I'm putting my stake in this right now. The best episodes on TV are the hol- uh, holiday-themed episodes. True. So Halloween, Halloween episodes Christmas, are great. Sometimes Christmas Valentine's episodes are great. Day. Sometimes the rare Thanksgiving episode. But yes, those are the best episodes on TV. So we're going to at least bring you, be bringing you one sort of spooky detour a week. Spoopy. Spoopy. But yes, so now we're going to get into that. But we're not going to get into... I say we... Or should we do... Should we do Halloween, not Halloween, Halloween? Let's that do might Halloween, be good. not Halloween, Halloween. Yeah, so we're going to do a so, Halloween, uh, I guess a not Halloween sandwich with Halloween bread. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so how about you start? Okay. 
And then I'll I'll do my non-Halloween. Yeah, so a few of us in the house watched Poltergeist. Uh, Jackson was unfortunately not in that group, but the original 1982 film Poltergeist. Um, it was directed by Tobe. Okay, <laughs> it was directed by Tobe Hooper, uh, written and produced by Steven Spielberg, Michael Grace, Grace, and Mark Victor from a screen story by Steven Spielberg again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, interesting fact about this: Steven Spielberg wanted to direct this, but because he was also doing ET at the time, he had like a contract issue e. where he wasn't allowed to. Okay, where where he wasn't <laughs> allowed to direct another film at the same time he was doing ET. Makes sense. Yeah, ET so, was a big project. So instead, he just uh, wrote and produced this one. He wrote it. Um, he was one of the writers. Yeah. Oh, cool! I did not know that actually. Yeah. God, fun. Well, facts the original from story. Hunkley. The original story is by Steven Spielberg, and then he gotcha. was also one of the one writers of the writers and the producers. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. So it stars Joe Beth Williams, Craig T. Nelson, Heather O'Rourke, and Beatrice Strait. Craig T. Nelson's in this. Man. Yeah. Good movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't even seen it. Good okay, movie. so basically, basically, Poltergeist. First of all, I just want to say, of course, it was done in the '80s, so like the the effects aren't mm. amazing, like no CGI or anything, but I still thought it held up pretty well. You know, I still thought it was pretty good. I think my favorite thing about it, and we kind of talked about this with our housemates, was that it everyone's actions were very believable. It wasn't one of those horror movies where people were doing dumb stuff. Like, you know, oh, don't go in the closet. But it's just like the fact that, you know, the whole premise of Poltergeist basically is that th- there's a little bit of spoilers in this, but um, this realtor is living in this neighborhood that he also sells houses in. Um, so, you know, they, the company gave him a house in the neighborhood. Turns out the land was really cheap for the neighborhood because it was built on top of a cemetery, but they only moved the headstones, not the graves. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So there is a poltergeist in the house and there's like a portal to this world where basically spirits live that are like lost. They don't know they're dead and they're lost on their way to the light, mm-hmm. you know, the the next life. Sure. Um, And the little girl, the, the youngest child, uh, Carol Ann, in Poltergeist, Caroline, basically hears these things speaking through, like when there's just static, you know, when there's fuzz on the TV, and eventually a portal opens through the closet in the kid's bedroom. Caroline is uh, basically sucked in, like through the TV, through the closet, whatever, um, and is like she can be heard throughout the house, but she's not quite there. She's on another okay. plane. Okay, so. So basically the whole thing is like the rest of the family calls in these supernatural expert kind of people to try and get them to save their daughter. So they honestly, the family, everything they did was reasonable and smart. You know, if there was not, if their child was not trapped in this other plane being held captive in the house, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they would have gotten out of the house, but probably because, you know, their child was trapped there. It's reasonable that they stayed. They, That's an interesting they didn't device, try to I think. Solve it. They didn't try to solve it themselves. They actually called in people who they thought, you know, at least knew what they were talking about. Sure. So Experts, if you will. Yeah. So I feel like, of course, you know, it was a scary situation, everything. Um, but I feel like the family did everything right as well as they could have. You know what I mean? And I also kind of liked that it wasn't one of those. Because I thought at the beginning, because at first, like, the mom... And then Carol Ann are the ones who see these things happen. So, like, right towards the beginning, a bunch of chairs stack themselves up onto a table. And then um, the mom finds that there's a spot on the floor where she can set a chair and it'll move in a line to another place. Yeah. And when the dad comes home, she shows him. And I was like, oh, it's not going to do it. Now that the dad's here, he's going to think she's crazy. Yeah. But it didn't. It wasn't, like, one of those poltergeist ghost things that's like, oh, I'm going to make this person look crazy, you know? Yeah. Like... It was pretty consistent. That said, um, the third act, I didn't really love. I think it mm. could have ended after the second act, after they got Carol Ann out. Um, the third act is basically like they're trying to move, and that's when like coffins full of bodies start just popping out of the ground, which I don't feel like <laughs> really good. lines up with the established rules good. of the world. <laughs> but up until that point, it was great. No rules in this poltergeist universe. Yeah. Line. No rules. Uh, do you, how scary was it? Do you think it's scary? What let's, let's make a scary meter right now from, so, from fun pumpkin to scary pumpkin. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, so here's the thing. I think that it was probably very scary in the eighties. There were definitely a couple of like jump scares that still got me, mm-hmm. but 
I would almost consider it to be m- more of a thriller okay. in 2020, just cool. because the effects aren't that great. Sure. I, I personally am a fan of those practical effects and things like that. So I like them, but sometimes like, you know, at one point, like a giant <laughs> head comes out of the closet and you're like, yeah. okay. Yeah. There, I, in, in the very brief moment that I saw of this movie, there was one point where someone's very human, clearly human head is switched out with a very... Very clearly fake. Oh yeah, head. And then it's a kind of famous scene actually. Bad things are done to it. That's all I'll That's say. That's another thing that like doesn't quite line up because like you know it's very practical. Like the poltergeist is just moving things. Like Carolina's trapped there. Sure. But then all of a sudden it's causing this one guy to have all kinds of hallucinations, and that doesn't really happen to anyone else. Yeah. Sure. So that sure. was kind of weird. That's but Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. A fun little like '80s horror movie. Yeah. You know, in, in that era, if you're down for that. Poltergeist sounds like a, a good one recommend. for you. It's a, yeah, it's a good, you know, sit around with everybody in your house and yeah. watch. What service is it on? <sighs> Netflix? Um, I think it was on <laughs> Amazon? I, I don't sure, know. I could have sworn y'all watched it on Netflix. Maybe it was on Netflix. I need to look it up. It'll be in the description for sure. We it always will, put it. We, we always will do it. Yeah. I'm looking it up. All right. right but yeah, now. that's all I really have to say about Poltergeist. Oh, um, Poltergeist, Poltergeist. We also posted what? a meme of Poltergeist on Monday and said, run to the green light, Caroline. Yes, run we as did. Fast as you can. Pretty funny, I am out. Yes, it's on Netflix. Okay. okay, great. So, yeah, that is our first spooky. Now we're going to get to the non spooky before we return back to the spooky. So, More of a spooky, if you will. Yes. So, last week, I gave my detour on a Hulu TV series. Now I'm going to give my detour on another TV series that's on Hulu, originally airing on FX, a little TV series called Atlanta. So Atlanta debuted in 2016. Two seasons are out right now. Both of them are on Hulu, and a third is coming in 2021, actually. I think it's also been renewed for a fourth season, so a lot of Atlanta content potentially coming out. But I I've about... I finished the full first season. I'm about halfway through the second season. So I'm mostly going to be focusing on the first season, but I'll maybe a little with a little bit of season two sprinkled in. So if you don't know what this show is about, I'll give you a little bit of a summary. So it's about two cousins trying to better their lives and the lives of their family. So Earn Marks, played by Donald Glover, is a broke college dropout who has no home and is staying with Vanessa, Zazie Beetz, his on and off again girlfriend and mother of his child. After realizing that his cousin, Alfred Marks, played by Brian Tyree Henry, is a rapper on the verge of stardom, Earn becomes his manager. Together with Darius, played by Lakeith Stanfield, Alfred's right-hand man and visionary, the three of them try to make it in the Atlanta rap scene. I love this show. Cool. I really do enjoy this show. I've been hearing you laugh out loud. A I have. Lot at it's this very show. funny. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I'll just be like sitting at the table, like watching on my laptop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you you know, know the the classic Jackson laugh, as we yeah. all know. Yeah. Um, my mom says it sounds different. Way in your iTunes reviews. Yeah. <laughs> my mom says his laugh sounds different than his voice. Well, yeah. Way way in on iTunes <laughs> reviews for sure. Roast me but if only you five must. Five star ones, please. Yes, please. But yeah, I, it's hard to say where it ranks for me all time, of course, because. I mean, I've only been watching it for a week, but it's so good. It's And it's hard to say it's some of the best TV I've watched in a while because I just confess community. We've talked about Fleabag recently, but I'd say quality-wise, it's definitely up there. It also just feels very different from most of the things on TV hmm. because it is, it's a comedy, but it's like, it, it, it doesn't always have the look of a comedy, but it's so funny. If that makes sense. That's a weird way to describe it. Okay. Um, and, you know, it sometimes has, like, a slower pace, I feel like, but it's never boring. Like, it is never boring. You're constantly engaged with the characters, with the story. It's great. One thing that I loved about this that I think is sometimes overlooked in some comedies is the cinematography. Okay. I thought the cinematography was really dope. The composition of the shots were always interesting. They're always engaging. And I think that sort of sets it above. Hmm. And like like I said, in comedy, I feel like sometimes we don't always get that. Um, yeah, we and just kind of get like a, you know, pretty basic kind yeah, of feel. Exactly. And then like, I feel like that originality also extends to the storytelling as well, obviously. There are a couple episodes that I want to highlight. There's one episode that takes place entirely through the lens of this like local talk show <laughs> and where paperboy Brian Tyree Henry is being interviewed. And there are like even fake commercials that they put throughout it that are so funny and so well done and just like so expertly crafted in like mm. the writing and the storytelling. And that's great. The other episode, which is the final episode of season one, actually, it consists of, like, Earn looking for his jacket. That's, like, the whole thing. And you think that's, like, a very basic premise, but it's just, like, we get the entire thing 
from his perspective. We try to figure out what happened because he doesn't know where he lost it because the last night was kind of crazy. They went out to the club, whatever. He forgets a lot of the stuff. So you kind of figure it out with him. And the ending is so great. I'm going to get to um, a quote from a Variety article that I really like that hmm. sort of ties in the series and the, that final episode as well. But um, just a couple final notes before I get to that. The acting is so strong. Donald Glover is great, obviously. Brian Tyree Henry is also great playing Paperboy. He his real struggle comes in like we you know, he's a rapper and he's rapping about partially about his life but also partially hyperbolizing, but then it's sort of exploring like blurring the lines between his real life and um his, rap his rapping. Well, and to be fair, the beginning of the series starts with him like shooting someone. So like, you know, his real life is part of what he is rapping about, but throughout the series it's still like you get you get the sense that's not exactly who he is necessarily. Sure. You know, he was just sort of pushed into that, but anyway, so it's really cool is that Lakeith Stanfield so funny. I feel like I don't know if we see him in many comedic roles now, right? Yeah. Because, well, like, he's the lead in Sorry to Bother You, right? He is. Yeah, which, and, I mean, which is, is like, comedic. There are some comedic things, but, but it's also... I would consider it a comedy, but it's yeah. not like... he He's just... He's straight up funny in this. He's okay. very good, and it's a different role. It's really cool to see these these actors sort of at different points in their career from what we know them now. For sure. Well, I also just feel like, just from what you've told me about the show, and, you know, also just what you've said now, it yeah. almost sounds like... And, you know, and also because of this Donald Glover, but it sounds like almost like community grew up a little bit and like this is its new show in a way i don't know just from what you said about like oh well doing different kind of themed episodes sure it's a talk show and they have commercials i think a whole episode about looking for your jacket yeah and and it it like it doesn't it doesn't feel like community but in the in the same way that community is very original and and takes a lot of risks as a tv show i would say so does atlanta you know and and some of some of the comedic elements, while very different from community, I think you know, sort of abide by the same rules in a way, if that makes sense. Um, it's really it's just really cool, and it really does paint a picture of like the city of Atlanta through a realistic lens, and sometimes like a slightly surreal, like very mm. close to reality, but slightly off. Like for example, Justin Bieber is a character that comes in in a couple episodes, and he's. He's pretty As much played by Justin Bieber. Well, here's the thing. Oh, it's not. <laughs> so he he's he's pretty much the same character as like a hyperbolized Justin Bieber would be, except he's black, and he's oh. he's actually played by the kid in Daybreak. Do you know who I'm talking about? Well, all I think of with Daybreak is the lead kid. The in lead Daybreak, kid, yeah. Well, black. one of the main characters in Daybreak is also in this show, which okay. I thought was really cool to see him. But yes, yeah, so. It's just really cool how it's like so close to reality, but it's like that's a little bit different and it's like, you know, it's really funny. So I want to end with this really cool quote from Variety. So I I should have quoted the the author, but we will we will um, put it in the description to uh, to hat tip for them. So Jackson bumped the table. I did. I'm sorry. So we need to make that like a party foul thing. Like, yeah, we do something whenever one we of us have to like that. run around the, the house and have <laughs> the other person just talk for a minute. Okay. At the risk of saying anything overarching about the black experience, or to reduce Atlanta's brilliance to merely a question of race, there is something significant to making fairy tales out of the lives of a set of people who would never have been cast in The Lord of the Rings. Hmm. It's all a different kind of danger and a different sort of magic, yes, but Ern, like Frodo, just wants to go home. By the end of this season, as makeshift as it is, he finally finds where he can put his head down to sleep. And I don't want to say where he finds that, because that's a bit of a spoiler, especially for the final episode, but I just really like that quote. So, Atlanta, it's on Hulu. First two seasons out on Hulu right now. You can watch them. I would definitely suggest it. Yeah, this one is definitely on my list. Yes. So, let's go back to our our spooky Final spooky. And we are almost at 20 minutes. So, just to FYI for both of us. Power through. Yes. (laughs) So, the other movie we watched was the 2003 Haunted Mansion movie. Based on the Disney theme park ride. When was the ride created? I don't know. You look that up because I have the movie page up right now. (laughs) You talk about the specs. So, uh, here's the little summary. Workaholic real estate agent Jim Evers, Eddie Murphy, is accused (laughs) by his wife, Sarah. Marsha Thomason, sorry, of neglecting his son, Mark John Jeffries, and daughter, 
Ari, Ari Davis. So he takes the family on a vacation. They're going to the lake. Uh, along the way, the family stops off at a sinister mansion that Jim has been asked to sell, only to discover it's haunted by Master Gracie, Nathaniel Parker, his stern butler, Ramsley, Terrence Stamp, and two other servants who need some help breaking a curse. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Quick pause. Guess when Haunted Mansion opened? 1979. You're 10 years off. 1969. 69. Was it August 9th, 1969? The first uh, it opened at Disneyland. Then two years later, it opened uh, in Magic Kingdom okay. as well. That wasn't so, that far off. Yeah, so pretty sweet. Pretty yeah. sweet. But yes, so... What did you like about this movie, Lauren? Uh, number one, Eddie Murphy. He Eddie was Murphy's great. great. Eddie Murphy, he chews up the scenery and oh, all the yeah, scenes he's that he great. is. No, and it's just like, especially you see him in his like real estate action at the beginning. And from that point on, from seeing those interactions, you totally understand why he like, he's really trying to sell this house. He, he ignores is. so much haunted stuff. Eddie Murphy. And just keeps a smile on his face and is like, I'm going to sell this house. It'll be over soon. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. It's all fine. Is how you say married to the game. Yes. <laughs> He's very much, very <laughs> much dedicated to his job. Yeah. And that no, gets in the way. Like, and we like, see okay, that. Okay, great. There's a cemetery in the back. Cool. We'll say uh, scenic views. Yep. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Cobwebs. All yeah. right. Antiques. Great. We love it. Yeah. His character is great. The world building. I enjoyed the world building. It's yeah, a lot of fun. It was fun. The, the backstory, I guess, of the whole thing was interesting. It had a lot of fan of the opera elements. It did. Like the whole masquerade thing. Every time the there opera. was a flashback, there was even a whole part where they went and it was like uh they went into like a little crypt type area to get some key and it literally looked like the phantom's lair in front of the opera like it was they had to go in a little boat thing or whatever and you know it was just all like water and kind of foggy and whatever like it literally looked like the phantom of the opera very (laughs) very much so yeah so same energy uh there are some fun creatures in this yeah there's like some some zombies some ghosts the the quartet bus the quartet i love the quartet bus those fellas (laughs) were just delightful yeah they were very fun well and the harmonies were tight yeah they strapped them to the car at the end which was hilarious yeah Um, because like spoiler sorry they they are left the house at the end because once the curse is broken, all of the ghosts are no longer in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, they are ultimately freed to go do their thing. So yeah, I mean, this is a it's a fun movie. It's not necessarily a theatrical feat, but it's I mean it's enjoyable. It's You're a gonna lot of have fun. a good time watching. It's on Disney Plus, by the way, in case. Well, you... and just like they really did it fill is out on the Disney plot Plus, and the right? characters. Yeah, they really did fill out the plot and the characters pretty well, considering it was a movie based on a ride. Yeah. You know? For sure. Have you ridden the Haunted Mansion ride, Lauren? Uh, well, I've never been to Disneyland, so I have not ridden the original, but I have gone on the one at Disney World. It, how much of the elements of the movie are in it? Is it very much a bare bones of the actual ride? Well, or? so none of the story is really in it. Okay. It's it's more of like a comedic scary kind of thing. Maybe it was more like unironically scary when it was first built, but like the tombstones all have jokes on them oh, while gotcha. you're waiting in line outside. Sure. You know, it's like... um. Here lies dear old Fred. He was nice, but now he's dead. Like, that uh, kind of deal, you know? Well, and I feel like the, the movie does a good job of matching that tone, actually. For sure, yeah. Because there are, like, some scary elements, but it's... And then it's, there's the quartet bus, Yeah, you know? th- there's also a lot of comedic moments throughout it, so it's not just super spooky. Yeah. Obviously, it's like a PG movie, so yeah. don't go in expecting your pants to be scared right. right off of you. Well, and also, like, there is a part in the Haunted Mansion ride. It's been a while, because the last time I went to Disney World was, like, sixth grade. Sure. But, um... There is a part where you're on the ride and you're seeing all of these like ghosts that literally they look like little hologram type things sure. are like dancing around yeah. in a ballroom. Mm-hmm. So it looks very much like the the opening scene flashback of the movie. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, it is on Disney Plus. I confirmed. Also, fun fact about this movie. There's going to be a new one coming out. A remake. Yeah. Uh, it was announced actually just like a couple months ago. Yeah. That uh, a script is being written currently. So be on the lookout for a new Haunted Mansion movie, mm-hmm. which is exciting. I hope they bring back Eddie Murphy in some way. Yeah, me too. Just like that original cast. But, all right. All right. I think that's all we got. I think that's all we got. So when we come back, we will be reading Love on Ice, a drama by Tim Woods. Yes, we will. Light. All right, Jackson and Lauren are here as usual, and as you know it. we have a special guest actor with us, Tristan Cameron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. So Tristan, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, etc. Who is Tristan Cameron? Well, I am an actor over at Southern Oregon University in the BFA for performance uh, degree, and I'm in my final term and uh, looking to start getting out in there in the real world soon. Well, awesome. That's fantastic. That's well, we're in the real world right now, and let me tell you, Tristan, don't rush. <laughs> don't you? Don't you? <laughs> it is. It is fine out here. It's yeah. fine. It's, yep. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we are going to be. You know what? I'll, I'll take fine. I'll take yeah, fine. You know what? Fine is something. It's something. So yeah, we are going to be reading Love on Ice today, <laughs> and uh, actually, we will have Blake reading stage directions. You will hear him in a second. Yes. That's all we'll say. Podcast editing magic. But (laughs) anyways, so here it is, Love on Ice drama. My name is Jackson, and I will be reading Tom, a husband, uh, Jillian's husband, uh, and a college math professor. My name is Lauren. I'll be reading Jillian, an artist, deceased, heart attack. My name is Tristan. I will be reading for Matt, a friend of Tom's. Love on Ice, a drama. Hospital Morgue. 1.50 a.m. White shrouded body on a hospital gurney at center stage. Gurney is at a 45 degree angle. Head at upper stage left, foot at lower stage right. A single chair is at center stage left. Lights up. Pause. Tom, stage right of gurney and back to the audience, slowly pulls back the sheet covering Jillian's face. He stares. Pause. Enter Matt. Tom, I've been looking all over for you. Do you answer your phone? Can we be here? The, the, the fucking morgue? Don't worry. I slipped the night attendant 200 bucks to leave us alone. Matt walks tentatively to the gurney, hesitant to look directly at her face. What the hell happened? She overheard me talking on the phone to my teaching assistant. Good Christ, Tom. You still can't keep away from the young stuff. We argued. I called Jillian frigid. An icy bitch. Looks slightly stage right. God, I'm such an ass. Then what? You didn't kill her. Did you? Of course not. She ran and... Gestures a hand downstage. Locked herself in the bathroom. That's when she had her heart attack. Rounds the head of the gurney. Go. Matt, get some rest. I need to be here. Look, I'm really worried now. You didn't cause her heart attack. You've got to let go of this guilt. I have to stay. Ushers Matt out, turns, looks at the body, returns to the gurney, and clutches her left hand. Jillian clenches his hand. Terrified, Tom pulls back his hand and backpedals, stumbling into the chair. Playing the doting husband now, Tom? Yeah. Jillian sits up. How quaint. But, but, but... (laughs) She gestures for him to come closer. He shakes his head. You can never stand a confrontation. How can this be? You sound the same. You almost look- I almost look what? Good for my age? Good for a corpse? Wonderful, Tom. Now that I'm gone, you finally notice me. All it took was me dying. I'm sorry, Jillian. Really sorry. I know you never- Slides off the gurney and walks towards him. Stop it. I don't want to hear it. I had to in life. I'll be goddamned if I'm going to listen to you whine anymore. Grow a pair. Looks up at her. It's just that I am sorry. I know I never loved you the way you needed. Looks away. I've stunk at monogamy. You never could keep it in your pants. Walks behind Tom as he watches. Know why I hate you, Tom? Want to know why I felt this heart attack coming and did nothing to save myself? You had time to call 911? And didn't? Better. When I knew it was serious, I downed the rest of your vodka, ran to the bathroom, and swallowed every pill in the medicine cabinet. She grabs his shoulder. He jumps, moving to Gurney. I'm dead, Tom. For Christ's sake, I can't hurt you anymore. You mean, um, you can't haunt me? Torture me in my dreams? Shakes her head gently and smiles. Be patient, dear. I've only been dead a few hours. She crosses to Gurney left just behind him and leans towards him. I haven't gotten my complete job description yet. I'm not sure what's expected of me. Tom nervously moves to Gurney foot. This can't be happening. I'm stressed, in shock, some altered state. She slaps the top of the gurney. Quite right, Tom. The altered state you feel is that relief that I'm dead. Gone. Muerto. 
You'll never have to listen to me talk about my dreams, or reassure me that my ass isn't too big. Turns back towards him. I'll be as silent as the headstone you've already purchased. You knew about that? How? I never left any records of- what- <laughs> You forget, dear. The one gravestone company in town is owned by my cousin Jerry. When you ordered my memorial, he called me. Moving slowly to the foot of the gurney, looking downstage. He was afraid you might be planning to knock me off. A quick glance his way. You wouldn't know this, but that's what real families do. They look out for each other. Moves up to the right side of the gurney. I was economizing. I told them both our names would end up being on that gravestone. Save it, Tom. You think I didn't know it was a single gravestone? You bastard, you always planned on outliving me by 25 years. Marrying one of your nubile grad students. She moves around the foot of the gurney, raising her voice. You're such a cliché. Quickly moving to chair, he sits. Jillian, why are you doing this? Taunting me. Face is stage left. You're frightening me terribly. Walks from head of gurney to left side and leans. No, Tom. I can't frighten you in death any more than I did in life. Reminiscing, facing downstage. When we were first married, I had this vision of being a professor's wife. Every summer off, being together. But every summer it was all about the Giants. Then, Monday Night Football, the Super Bowl, the NBA playoffs, every goddamn wimble done. Looks at him. Did you ever stop to think I might want to go to a restaurant with candles and linen napkins? You selfish prick. Turns her back to him, standing. And your sacred rule. Never a kind word after the day's first cup of coffee. Caffeine brought out the worst in you. Turns to face him. I made you coffee every morning. You never noticed. You didn't love me. Off. Approaching steps. Crosses toward her. What do we do? Someone's coming. Figure it out. Jillian reclines on Gurney. Tom's caught awkwardly in the middle of the room. Walks in quickly. Looks suspiciously at the corpse as if he knows that she's been moved. He slows his pace. Tom. Tom. Let me drive you home. Leave us, Matt. I need to be here. Come back in the morning. Gazes suspiciously at the corpse. You're talking to a corpse, Tom. It's not Jillian. She's gone. Come to our house. We have an extra bedroom. Stay for as long as you need. Trembling. Leave us? Go home. I need to be here. With her. Takes a judgmental step back. This... It's morbid. I'm staying. Go home. Tom walks him to the door. Matt exits. Tom turns to check on Jillian, but she's completely still. He moves cautiously to the gurney, fearing that he might never speak to her again. He leans over the corpse, looking for signs of life. Startlingly, she sits up. Tom leaps back, grabbing his heart. I could never stand that man. <sighs> because he never bought any of your paintings? She sits up. Said whatever I did, landscapes, still lifes, portraits, all resembled abstract cacti. Such a dickhead. Shaking his head. <laughs> Especially after four martinis. Stands. He's still a putz. I thought dying would lessen my animosity towards that man. Moves down left. I did forbid him to drink around you after our last dinner party. I didn't know that. Wow. I didn't think you had it in you to stand up for me. Thank you. With a compliment, you were the stingiest woman I ever knew. Not if you deserved them. Approaches Tom tentatively. Holds her at an arm's length. Moves to foot of Gurney. Deserved. Everything with you was only if one deserved it. Nothing was ever given freely. Turns to face her. No one will say this at your funeral, Jilly, but many will think she didn't have a generous bone in her body. Backs up a few steps. Cold, Tom. That's cold. Sits on Gurney. We deserved each other. Two unhappy people who found each other, married and drank too much. And stayed together too long. Moves to his side, sits, and touches his shoulder. The sad dog-eat-dog -dog world of the unhappily married. Why did we do that? How did that happen? Looks intently at her. I don't know. We let our careers, our ambitions get between us. I'm sorry, really. I know I've blamed you for my own shortcomings. Looks at her tenderly. You know, Jilly, we haven't spoken to one another like this for a long while. At least we had that time before we finished our morning coffee. Are we so dense it took you dying to remember how to be nice to each other? I should confess something. Five years ago, when I finally understood the bulk rule, I actually started to like baseball. Shivers. 
lies down on Gurney, adjusts her pillow, gently covers her with a blanket, and lies next to her, spooning her. Is that better? Yes. Thank you, dear. Don't I frighten you? Mm. Somewhat. Facing audience. Remember that Christmas when the furnace went out? <laughs> of course. The house was freezing and we only had one blanket. Froze our butts off. It's freezing in here. He holds her close. They doze off. Lights dim. Beat. Lights up. Enter Matt. Tom, are you crazy? What are you doing? Sits up. Orients himself. <clears throat> I can leave now. I'm okay. Kisses his dead wife. Covers her. The two men start to leave. Jilly said she'll have the coffee hot for me on the other side. Turns to Jillian. Blows her a kiss. Resumes exiting. Man, you guys had a weird relationship. Almost to himself with a slight smile. Have. Lights down. End scene. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Green Light. Green Light? We are here with our writer of the week, Tim Woods. Tim, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Great, so, sounds good. Great. Where Where are you in the country, Tim? I'm in Santa Cruz, California. It's about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. Okay, awesome. Okay. Gotcha. Not, yeah, yeah, not we're in too LA, far so. from us, I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, tame, same uh, same time zone and everything, Yeah, so good. Yeah, exactly. Not having to wake up too early or stay up too late to do an interview, which is nice for us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, we'll just jump right into it. So, we always ask everybody this, but give us your writer origin story. How did you get started writing? How did I get started writing? Uh, well, I've been a avid reader literature guy my whole life <clears throat> um in college although i wasn't an english major i sort of should have been um <laughs> i wrote a few short stories back in uh the 70s and uh i wrote a novella uh <clears throat> then there was a long break while i was like having a family and one day I woke up and I was 51 years old and I said, it's kind of now or never. Sure. And that began a seven year process of writing uh, my historical fiction novel, which is set in the civil war. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. What, what did you end up majoring in college in Tim? I majored in sociology. The reason being I liked sociology, but I, I picked it because it gave me the, the most latitude to sure. take other courses. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so let's jump into some questions about the script. Um, so last week, uh, the script that we had on our episode was very light on stage directions, but the script that you sent us uh, is very much more detailed in that category, even down to like specific movements and looks for the actors. So is that something that you do consistently throughout your writing? And if so, talk about your decision and, and why you do that. I'm... Um very auditory as a person and, and the way things are said uh, by actors is uh, it's very important to me. Uh, I have struggled in my writing to cut down on stage directions, <laughs> which, which people in my, you know, I've been in a whole variety of writing groups. Currently I'm in a playwriting group and I frequently am being critiqued that maybe I've overdone it. And sometimes I agree, uh, but if it's something I feel strongly about, um, you know, like the, the kind of intonation I think that a line should be delivered with, I'll, I'll definitely, I won't hesitate to put that in. For sure. Well, I mean, and definitely, you know, if you're someone coming more from a background of, you know, you wrote a novel, you wrote a novella, I mean, I can definitely understand trying to see the whole picture and convey everything that everyone is doing, you know? Yeah, and it's like, not... <laughs> while sometimes, I guess, um, writing stage directions can be superfluous sometimes, but also you look at some writers like Tennessee Williams, who had a lot of <laughs> stage directions. Pages. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I think if it all contributes to the overall idea and the story as a whole, I think it makes sense to have them, no matter how much is in there, as long as it contributes to the story, which I think it does in here so right. yeah 
when this play was performed here in Santa Cruz a few years ago, about three, four years ago, I think, uh, there was a great visual um, in how the play opened. Um, it opens up in the in the morgue, and uh, there's a body on a gurney, and the husband and his best friend come in, and they're kind of paying their respects to the deceased. The friend leaves. There's a few moments of the husband being alone, and the way the director the director did this this wasn't my idea but i thought it was very powerful uh suddenly you see an arm raised up from the sheet on the gurney and <laughs> there's a big there's a big gasp in the audience that's so. great that's nice. great i love that yeah <laughs> So why did you decide to make Jillian an artist and Tom a college math professor? And do you think their very different occupations led to some of the troubles in their relationship? Uh, you know, those things just kind of come to me. I don't, I don't uh, put a lot of deliberate thought into um, the professions my characters have. They They more appear to me and... Than, than me like assigning like like I, I don't go like I want to write a, a play about a college professor I just start the, the germinating idea of this play was I wanted to write uh, a married couple's last argument hmm. and that's what I attempted to do and many people were wondering well was this whole thing a fantasy or the part of a husband or or you know, I mean, you can interpret it any way you want. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, I think that's an interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Somebody told me that after they saw the play. Hmm. Um, it, it was it was very successful in its <clears throat> local run here. People really liked it. Great. Yeah, I mean, we we really enjoyed it as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's interesting because. Sometimes I feel like professions and things play big roles in it. And, you know, whether you intended to to have that play a role in it or not, I think it, it is sort of interesting how these two characters are very different people. And even that is shown in, like, their professions and, and what they chose to do with their lives. Sure. So I think it's sort of a, a cool addition. Um, so at the beginning of the script... Um, you have Tom and he feels sort of the need to be alone with Jillian, even though he, of course, fully assumes she's dead and is not going to sort of semi-haunt him, as we kind of see. So what do you think he hopes to achieve by spending this time alone with her? And do you think he gets what he wants by the end of the script? Or does he find something he wasn't expecting? Or, or how do you think that plays out? I think this married couple had one more marital spat they needed to get behind them. Hmm. And that and that they accomplished that in the point. Gotcha. I guess that that sort of answers my next question too, because I was gonna say, um, why do you? Why does Jillian come back to haunt him, especially when she kind of, in her own way, chooses to die in a way? Do you think it is foreclosure, revenge? Does she have a choice in coming back? I mean, you kind of answered it, but uh, is there anything more to why Jillian comes back, even though, uh, you know, as the script sort of implies, she kind of, uh, it was partially her own decision to take her life? Yeah, I don't really have anything different to say than I said a moment ago. It's sure. like, this couple had some unfinished business, mm-hmm. and... Um, they get that unfinished business done, you know, in private in the morgue. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I truly love the ending of this script. I think it's, it's, it's a great arc to go from the yeah. relationship at the, the beginning to them sort of coming together in this final moment together. Whether it is over their the, the various spats they've had, or just a final realization that you know it, they are allowed to to let themselves go. So I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. So I want to talk about the character of Mad, because obviously we've talked about our other two characters a good bit, but this script seems like it could work with just Tom and Jillian. So what do you see as Matt's role in the script? How how does Matt affect the other two characters? Very minimally. Um, I just thought, I think as I was writing this, that, you know, it's going to be an awkward thing for a guy to been in a long-term marriage to, to go visit his spouse's body in the uh, in the morgue, and he just asks his best friend to go with him for support, and he does, and then he says he wants to be alone, and and then he shows up briefly at the end. It was it's really just a support thing, mm-hmm. not like he has any 
significant impact on the story. I mean, you're quite right in that. Yeah, and I I I like Matt's character because I like you said it's definitely a, a support role, but he also does provide some like comedic moments, you know, and it also provides that tension of you know he could sort of come back at any time, and you know <laughs> Tom's talking to to his dead wife, you know, so so it provides that tension there, which I really like, and um, it also made me think of you know sort of like you said, it, Matt is not is it necessarily a vital character to this story, and I think that's a, sort of a cool thing as an actor whereas you know obviously you want to play the lead anytime you're an actor you want you want to have the big moments whatever but i think it's also a good lesson to have to like sort of understand your role in the story approaching it as an actor if you play a character Mm -hmm. like matt you're like what is my role in this story and i think you should do that no matter who you're playing you know how what is my role in this story and how do i achieve that in the best way so i just thought that was sort of a a cool example when we have this uh, character of matt here like you were saying for sure um, so our final question about the script, what's sort of like the overall message that you hope people get out of the script? Take care of business while you're alive. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes is, sense. Yeah. Short and sweet. And I love it. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So let's see. Let's move on to some personal questions. You know, nothing too deep and scary. But, <laughs> we always, um, we always call them personal questions and it's like, that, that, that does personal. sound scary, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so where do you derive inspiration for your writing? Uh, I'm not dodging your question here. No, please take your time. I think I I derive by, did you say, where do I get my inspiration? Yes. Yes. Um, I know if, I know how cliche this is, but if I don't write, um, I'm not a happy camper. And, um, there's a great quote from uh, St. Thomas. I don't know if a lot of people know this quote. It goes, if you, if you bring forth what is inside you, what you bring forth will save you. If you fail to bring forth what is inside you, what you fail to bring forth will destroy you. Hmm. Hmm. That's really powerful. And, yeah. I, you know, I feel like a lot of artists have similar ways yeah, you know well, i mean if you're an artist it you know it hurts when you're not doing art yeah yeah and you know there there's a famous saying for actors i know is if you could do anything else do that you know because obviously it's a very tough business and you know to be a writer is tough to to be an artist in general is tough but i guess there there is that part inside all of us as artists that are like we kind of have to do this, you know, and and I think that's a that's a cool uh, and, and interesting perspective to take on it for yeah. sure. Um, so why why what drew you to write for the theater? I mean, obviously you said you you have experience writing novels in the past. So uh, why why have you wrote, written theater? Why have you written novels? Sort of what drew you to those different uh, styles of writing as opposed to something like I don't know writing poetry or writing for the screen or something like that. Well, um, uh, uh, I, I've known quite a few poets in my life, and I really believe this. I think poets are born, um, <laughs> and the people that I know and respect who are poets are, they're just poets, and they see the world poetically in terms of images, and they think that way, uh, and I'm really quite blown away by it. Um, my writing, my first love of writing has always been uh, fiction novels, um, and uh, I say I wrote I wrote three novels over a course of about nine years, and then I um, wanted to take a break from it, and I've I have been a live theater fan my entire life. I love live theater. Um, my wife loves musicals. I love um, <clears throat> dramatic, dramatic plays. Um, when the whole thing comes together in theater, you know, actors, script, direction, lighting, everything, um, uh, it's a very transporting um, experience for me. I almost always try to sit in the third row in the middle seat. I like to be very close mm-hmm. to the action. Um, I like small theaters. 
Um, I don't really like to be in theaters larger than about 100 seats. I mean, I go to them from time to time, but um, I really like the intimacy of theater. And um, and when it when it's pulled off, it's um, I mean, it's just it's just a great high for me. It really is. Um, my wife is a musical theater aficionado, uh, um, and we go to New York about once a year, and she goes to a musical every night, except the one night I drag her to one dramatic play, <laughs> and, and she drags me one night to a musical play, which I usually like. I mean, it's not like I don't like musicals. Uh, um, I only like, well, we, we love Sondheim, and mm-hmm. um, like... <laughs> Uh, I don't like my wife and I call them corn and cluck um, <laughs> kind of kind of musicals, um, but you know, it's, I'm sure you know Sondheim and oh, of course, yeah, of course, and he, he's um, you know a genius and a master, and I like I like I like theater that challenges you and makes you think and mm-hmm. question things and. Um, uh, so, you know, I really, I guess I can't started writing plays, um, cause I, because I've, I've been a theater goer and fan my whole life and I decided to try my hand at it. So I think about 12 years or so ago, I took a, I took a introduction or playwriting course and I liked it. And I've been, I think I've written three or four full length plays. Um, I've written a zillion 10 minute plays, I don't know, 30, 30, 40 of them and a couple of one X, um, you know, of varying degrees of quality, of course. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. I also, um, one thing that I actually didn't comment on when you were talking about sort of your writer origin story is it's, it's very inspiring that you sort of got started writing plays sort of later in your life and I think that's an absolutely in- incredible thing and something that most people would be like eh it's too late whatever and it but it's like it really isn't and and I think you're you're a great example of that so I I it's very admirable and I respect you very much for that um but talking about sort of just the theater in general I I think the theater will always sort of be my first love as well. Yeah. Um and it's it there's just there's something I love how you said you like the the middle seat third row of being so close to the action and it's like there is there's like an energy to theater For that sure. while you know going to see a movie and sitting around people you know that's a unique experience in its own going to a movie theater excuse me and watching a movie like that but going to like a live theater performance there's something else because you have the audience experiencing it at the same time and you also have the actors experiencing it in front of you at the same time which I think just that that balance of energy and and things like that I don't know it's almost not even tangible but it is at the same time it's it's weird that's very very (laughs) floofy talk for me but i i really enjoy that as well well and i mean i remember at one point my family went to new york and you know we i guess my my dad you know knew somebody who knew somebody who was in the orchestra fan of the opera so then you know we saw fan of the opera and then he also knew somebody who knew somebody who was working (laughs) on the lion king so we saw the lion king um but then we also, we were just looking for tickets for other shows that were, you know, cheaper day of kind of tickets. And we ended up seeing the Fantastics off Broadway in this, you know, the the tiny, tiny theater. It was mm-hmm. in like the Snapple Theater. Um, <laughs> the Snapple Theater. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, it ended up being the best thing we saw that trip, you yeah. know, because it was just right. such a, such a small space. And, you know, it's like five characters or something like that. But yeah, yeah it was. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for intimacy in theater for sure. Yeah. Yeah, when it's done right, it's a, it's a profoundly intimate and collective experience. I mean, I think it's in our genes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going through our pandemic right now and all that stuff, but I've read a lot about how theater resurrected in Europe after World War II, mm. you know, after all the destruction of that. And people were putting on plays um, in hallways, in, in vestibules of apartment buildings. Wow. I mean, theater theater is just in us. And it's always going to be there. I, I think there's something quite marvelous about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you hear this, you know, theater's dead or dying or something. It's like, you know, it's evolving with the times, of course, but mm-hmm. it, it's part of being human, a human being. I want to comment on, you, asked, you touched on earlier about writing 
uh, movie scripts. Um, it's a little strange for me to say this because I've been a, a movie. My wife and I are both big movie fans. Sure. Have been, have been forever, you know, uh, and I, like we love film, <clears throat> but when I've looked seriously at writing, uh, screenplays, um, I actually have a, uh, a visceral reaction of revulsion. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested in camera angles, you know? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I mean, I know all of that's very important in terms of enjoying liking a film, but I, 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 I can't shift my brain to, you know, close up, extreme close up, pan out, all that stuff. Because you're writing those things, you, you've got to be dialed into those mechanics, and it's just, sure. it's just not part of who I am. Sure. Yeah, and well, I feel like a lot of people who who don't know much about writing or who aren't writers themselves would see like a play script and a movie script, and it's like it can't be that different, right? But they they're really are. Different. They're very different styles of writing, and you know, so that that definitely makes sense. It is. Yeah, definitely a lot. Very visual as a as a film script medium, and not that theater isn't, but you know, theater definitely relies a lot on on words and and things. So, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, so we wanted to ask um, you. You've kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, we wanted to ask two things: if you had to choose one medium that you've written in and only write in that medium for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? And if you had to write in one genre for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Fiction. Mm. That was quick. That was a quick was answer. Quick. You, had, wow. <laughs> you had that immediately. Uh, uh, why would you choose novels, fiction? Novels, plays, or? Well, I, I, I read almost exclusive, exclusively literary novels. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, there's very few genres. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've, I've read all the genres, you know, I've read crime novels and I've read techno thrillers. I've read horror and read a few Stephen King books and all of that stuff. But sure. what I predominantly read is, is, is I'd call literary fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, my current favorite author is an English woman named uh, Jeanette Winterson. Do you know her? Uh, I do not. I'm not familiar with her, no. Well, you are in for a wonderful surprise if you ever read fiction. Oh, check fantastic. Out, check out Jeanette Winterson. She has a wonderful webpage. Yeah. I think she's the I think she's the reincarnation of Virginia Woolf. Wow. Oh, wow. That's very high praise. Yeah, we'll very de- high praise. We'll, we'll definitely have to check her out then. No, yeah. And, and that's Please good. Do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, okay, so we have one final question for you. This one's kind of a fun question, I think at least. I came yeah. up with it, so of course I'm biased. But <laughs> So imagine this scenario. You are in the audience for the opening night of one of your own plays, and suddenly the stage manager rushes up to you and says, Tim, our lead actor just went down with the flu. We need you to fill in or this show won't go up. What do you do? Do you take over? Could you take over? Would you just shut the show down? Would you run screaming from the theater hoping to find a replacement on the street? What's sort of your plan of action at that point? <laughs> My plan of action at that point was I would look at the stage manner seriously and I would say, you don't want me on stage. Uh, <laughs> who, who, can, who can you ask to, to fill in in the lead role? I, I, uh, I'm absolutely not an actor. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not an on-stage person. Gotcha. Gotcha. Have you done anything else uh, b- behind the stage? Have you done any any directing or producing or designing or anything like that? No, just written. Just written. All right. All right. That's perfect. Well. Those are all of our questions, I yeah. think. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Tim. This was a great interview. Um, do you have anything you would like to plug? Anything that's sort of coming up in your life that you'd like to share? Um, I'm pretty close to sending out a, um, a full-length, my latest full-length play that's called Hail Mary. And um, I have high hopes for it. Um, it's it's a racially themed play with um, a black couple and a white couple, both of whom have lost their, their young men's sons, like who are in their mid twenties hmm. and uh, to gun violence. And it's, you know, so they're parallel tragedies and it's the play is really about how these, how these four adults cope with, um, to quote Hamilton, the unimaginable. Sure. 
That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's that's very cool. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, so yeah, everyone, be on the lookout for that because hopefully it will be in theaters around the country very soon. Um, <laughs> so, um, if you were looking to contact him, if you like this play and wanted to produce it, if you just want to to pick his brain, uh, we will leave his email in our description. Uh, Lauren, do we have anything else? I don't think so. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. Alrighty, bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Green Light. The Green Light. Thank you to our guest who came on. Thank you to our wonderful friends who came on and helped us record the wonderful script. Yeah. Now, if you have not done it yet, it would be really helpful if you would go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you roast me, or if you roast Lauren, or if you leave a detour, we'll probably read it on air. That's right. Mm -hmm. Another way you can help us is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have lots of exclusive content on there, and you can give as little as a dollar a month, and you'll still get a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of our bonus detours, a lot of our ramble episodes, and $5 for the Greenland episodes, which are my favorite. So that link is in the description. Yes, also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, TGL underscore pod. Facebook is... At GreenLightPod. Yes, and if you want to follow us personally, I'm at at J underscore Woodward underscore C on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Hunkleberry, H-U-N-K-E-L-E-B-E-R-R-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's it. That's it. Thanks. Thank y'all so much for listening. We love you. Love you. <laughs>